Oh, it's less awkward when I actually have my microphone on. Um, it's not the Salman's issue, it's my issue. Welcome, happy Father's Day. Uh, we just want to honor all the dads and just speak life over you. We do have root beer for all the guys when they leave this place. Um, and it should be ice cold, ready for you to dive into, or you can take it home and do what God has planned for a root beer is make a root beer float. So, or if you're from Michigan, <clears throat> specifically Detroit, if you have, have you ever had a Boston cooler where you have vanilla ice cream and you pour Verner's over top? Jesus is in that right there. Phenomenal. If you have your Bibles, so open up to Genesis chapter 1. We've been in it. And while we're doing that, we might as well give you a few dad jokes. Dad jokes are great. Um, what do you call a factory that makes okay products? A satisfactory? Anybody? If April flowers bring May flowers, what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. There you go. Dear math, grow up and solve your own problems. Um, why do seagulls fly over the ocean? Because if they flew over the bay, we would call them bagels. Anybody? All right. All right. That's horrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, I, I told this story in our Going Deeper class a few weeks back. Um, one of our good friends of, of our congregation, um, he went and he took a, a church over in Minnesota, a church of around 80, and uh, he told a joke for which 10% of the congregation got up and left. A family of eight got up and left after the first joke, like to start off the message. And the question is, what's the joke? And the joke was simply this. True or false, uh, kissing burns 100 calories. It says false. That's what happens after the kissing that burns the calories. And eight people got up and literally left. And their biggest gripe to him the next day was, we're not supposed to laugh in church. I, I come to church to feel bad. I need the gospel to beat me up and to make me feel bad. That's how I know it's working. If that's your theology, you have come to the wrong church. Especially on a day that I'm preaching about sex. This is a wrong day to not laugh. When in doubt today, either amen or laugh. That will, you know, I can feel the awkwardness in the room because I said the S word. Lighten up a little bit. Uh, when I first came, I remember... Um, it was maybe my first year, and somebody wanted to do a ballroom dancing. Uh, we would call them tables now, but a ballroom dancing group just for married couples. And I'm like, yeah, why not? And uh, the daughters of the founding pastor of the church, they came to meet with me. And they are just have always were good friends, um, have great relationship. They've gone since be with Jesus. And they sat with me because they wanted to figure out why, who tricked me into allowing a ballroom dancing class in this church. I'm like, well, nobody tricked me. They're like, we just cannot believe that we would allow something pastor. Do you know what that could lead to? I'm like, yeah, sex. They're like, what? It could lead to it. I'm like, but that's married couples. I encourage that with married couples. It's good cardio. It's great for the heart. It's fun. And it might heal their marriage. And the two of the ladies were like, oh, pastor, no, no, no. And Hazel, she's like, you know what? That's all true. Did you know it's okay to talk about sex in church? Did you know it's okay to have these conversations as married couples? Okay, I was scared that nobody was going to amend that whatsoever. Um, and I, I talk with couples all of the time about this, and there's always that one person in the marriage that does not want to talk about it, and the other person that is anxious to talk about it. Can you tell which person I might be in the relationship that I've got after 24 years? But we've got a place 
where the culture is so exposed to the issue of sexuality, but for some reason we are underexposed in terms of how we communicate in the church itself. Statistics tell us that 80% of those under 20 are exposed to sexual images. My first exposure to pornography was at nine years old. Pre-internet. And if you actually look at the statistics, my, I'm not an anomaly now and today with how things are available. In fact, of the 80% of those who are exposed to sexual images, thoughts, or conversations, those 80%, all of them, were not specifically taught by their parents, by a, a, a teacher, nor by their pastors. That breaks my heart, that the primary source of people's information, specifically our teenagers and our children, the prime source, the prime education of their sexuality does not come from their parents. It doesn't come from a pastor. It doesn't come from a teacher. And, and please know that my job is not to teach you about sex. I used to say that to my teenagers when I was a youth pastor. I said, we're not here to tell you the birds and the bees. And little Cody in the front row, sixth grader, he raises my hand. He goes, what are the birds and the bees? My parents haven't talked to me. I'm like, oh, this service is going to stir up a whole lot of conversations after with your parents. But we get to this place where we don't talk about it. Did you know this? That for high schoolers right now in 2022, that 50% of high schoolers will have had a sexual experience before their senior year. Not, we're talking about not intercourse, but experience in a sexual experience before their senior year. That tells me as a freshman, sophomore, and junior year, that's where it's happening. And so we've gotten to the place where we have allowed other people to have their say, but the church has not talked about what does God say about the issue of sexuality. So for the next few moments, can we not allow culture to be the standard for sex? For the next few moments, can we just not allow Netflix or Hulu or pick your poison? Uh, but that was a, maybe a little bit of a, a Freudian slip there. Um, can we not allow them to be the standard for which God has set up for us? We want to make God the standard on how we view, we talk about, and how we experience sexuality. And so I've got a very simple message, a very simple outline for you. It's a message called Divinely Designed. And I've just got two main points for you today. So buckle up. It's going to be okay. Can I get you, for those of you that are really uptight, because I can tell by some of your faces right now, could you take a deep breath? <sighs> this is okay to talk about in church. We're not showing pictures. It's, well, I say that while showing that. I've got a friend of mine who called me. He goes, my staff talked about you in a staff meeting. He's like, you put nude, like, naked people as your graphic. I'm like, naked people? He goes, you can see Adam's butt on there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Number one, if you're taking notes, sex is God's idea. Sex did not happen as a discovery by humanity where Adam and Eve were like, man, we've got nudity, we've got waterfront property, we should do something about this. It had nothing to do with that whatsoever. This was God's gift. This was God's design. And for years, I don't know if you grew up in a very conservative church like I grew up, for years when we hear pastors preaching about sex, all we hear is, don't do it. Just say no. Like, Thank you, Nancy Reagan. That's not what God was speaking about. There's so much silence. And I wrote this down. Why should your church be comfortable talking about sex? Simple. We should not be ashamed to talk about what God was not ashamed to create. 
We should not be ashamed to talk about what God was not ashamed to create. It's not like God created a humanity and they got, we got naked and they started doing stuff. He's like, I did not think they would do that. God blessed us with our bodies. God blessed marriage. He created marriage, and he looks at that, and he calls it blessed. And so my word to you is this, is to stop allowing other people to define what they did not design. Sex is God's gift, and it's God's design for marriage. Sex is God's gift, and it's God's design. If you don't believe me, um, I, I lose my Bible on here. I forgot it uh, somewhere else. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now God gives responsibilities on the second half. There are two commands that are here. The second command in scripture is to have, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, over every living thing. In the Hebrew, that word dominion means to make the most out of what God has provided. Take the, raw, the rawness of the world and do something beautiful with it. But the first command in all of Scripture, when you think of all of, when we think of commandments, where do all of our brains go to? Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not, shalt not lie. Thou shalt not cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. Thou shalt not. We, get, we think of negatives with the thou shalt not, and we think of negative with the commands of God. But the very first command of God is this, is to be fruitful and multiply. We have reduced the word sex to don't in the church, and we think a negative. But the first commandment in Scripture has to do with sex, and it actually says, do it. No amens in the house whatsoever. It's okay to amen this stuff. But again, the church, we get things like, don't view porn. Don't make out. Don't sleep around. Don't touch yourself. And don't get me wrong, that's all true. But when it comes to sexuality, Scripture does not start with a negative comment about sex. That, this is pre-fall of man. This is pre-Genesis chapter 3. So the first view of sexuality we have is, is listen, you've got a marriage. Enjoy it. Go and do it. It's a good gift in the right context. So go and to enjoy. This is a gift to humanity. This is why we get words out of Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. It says this, but God made the male and female, and from the beginning of creation, this explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two become one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Right here we get the nuts and bolts of sexuality and humanity. That God created humanity with two genders, uh, male and female, and then those two genders, when we bring them together in marriage, God blesses them. Because I believe that sex is God-given, and I, I believe that sex should be God-governed. And what you choose to do with your love life, what you choose to do with sexuality, I promise you, will affect every part of your life. It'll affect everything. And so God does this joining together. And that word join is an amazing uh, Greek word. It's the word debak, D-A-B-A-Q. And that word join is a very, very intimate word. And this is what I love about that word because it is so deep. It's sex is a joining. It's a debak. It's coming together. And that word means it's a joining in three levels. Look at these three levels. We are joined emotionally through intimacy, physically through the act of sex, 
and spiritually through the act of covenant. So when God calls us into sexuality as a marriage couple, you are doing more than coming together into a physical act. You are connecting emotionally. You are connecting physically. And there is a very spiritual thing. This is one of the beauty beauties of the sexual act in marriage is God has given us something for us to enjoy and to experience as a married couple that we can't experience any place else. We are given the opportunity to connect, to be joined in intimacy physically and spiritually. But so often we make marriage about other things. I'm doing a wedding, I think, almost every weekend through the next couple months. I've got a couple weekends where I'm not, and those are vacation weekends. Um, but weddings, we make weddings about groomsmen and bridesmaids, uh, weddings about numbers of different elements whatsoever. Um, I, one, one year, the bride and groom didn't tell me that they were going to release doves. And so, um, to my surprise, when I said husband and wife and they kissed, these doves came. And so there's a... There's a picture of the bride and groom kissing, me ducking a dove coming right over my head. We make weddings about so much. But in ancient cultures, did you know that, that the ceremony wasn't the thing that really made them husband and wife? It was the consummation of it. Because the sexuality is what sealed it. Like a contract being signed, that's what sealed it and made them one. And I love what Mark says. This is the words of Jesus. The two are united into one. And what God has brought together, let no one put asunder, the King James says. This concept of one is huge in Scripture. And I want to show you God's concept of one. That God wants us to embrace this concept of one. We're talking one God, one marriage, one flesh, one man with one woman, one sex partner, one lifetime. It's God's concept of one, and he wants you to live one in every area. And if, of all the things that we've been trying to reclaim from Eden for this entirety of this series, we've talked about reclaiming communication, reclaiming our connection, uh, reclaiming our oneness. Today, I want to reclaim sexuality for the glory of God. I want God to restore this back to the church, because this is God's plan, is to give us goodness in this area. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Did you know this? At the end of each day of creation that God called creation good. But when he created humanity and we put humanity in the garden and he saw humanity we were talking about Adam and Eve interacting being together, walking together and yes, sleeping together. God didn't call it good. God called it what? Very good. God looks at sex and he calls it very good. I want you to repeat something after me. Repeat after me. Sex is good because God made it good. Sex is good because God made it good. I feel like the room just relaxed a little bit now. But that word good, I mean, think about this. That word good in the Hebrew language is used in numbers of, numbers of ways. It's used about bread, wine, honey, fruit, uh, perfume, uh, a feast, a home, a shade underneath the tree. Um, nowadays, we look at all the things that God has made, the sound at a beach, food and drink, uh, the sound of music, the human body, attraction, desire, the touch, uh, the kiss on the mouth. All of that is good. But there is just something about man and woman coming together, which God looks at and says, it is very good. The Hebrew word is tov, T-O-V. It's a deep goodness. It's deep pleasure. It's deep, it's a deep, deep gift. And until we reclaim this back from culture, 
culture will continue to define what sexuality is supposed to be. It is time for the church to start talking about it again. It is time for couples, if you're a married couple, it's time for you to start doing it again. Thank you for a few amens. I only heard guys amening at that point. But I've said this for years. The enemy loves for us to engage in it as much as possible prior to marriage, and he wants us to disengage from it as much as possible after we've married. Why? Because he knows the power of people coming together and being joined to that which calls very, God calls very good. Which leads me toward number two. Sex is not just God's idea and God's gift, but sex has been perverted. It's been perverted. If you don't like that word, write down the word distorted. Genesis chapter 3, we've got the gift of what God has given in humanity and the earth. And when, when, when Satan comes in, when the certain comes, serpent comes in and he begins to question God, what he truly is trying to do is trying to say everything that God has given you, including your sexuality, did God really say it's good? Can you really trust God with your sexuality? I've had people for years ask me, can I trust God with our sexuality? The first wedding I've ever done at Cave First, my last session of, of premarital counseling, I always talk about sex. It is so much fun because somebody or both of them are always squirming in the pastor's office because who wants to sit and talk to the pastor about sex? And this one guy came in and he literally antsy for five minutes until all of a sudden he relaxed and afterwards I said, what changed after five minutes? He goes, I thought you were going to tell me that we weren't allowed to do it outside of the wedding night. That you're going to give me this assemblage of God's stance. And he goes, you told us we can have it as much as we want. This is the best day I've ever had. I'm like, oh, yeah. The enemy wants to rob our marriages of what God has brought you together to do. And for some of us, we feel like maybe we shouldn't or maybe we shouldn't engage in it because that's, that's for this age or this is for that time. But what God has brought together, God will continue to bless. Don't negate the gift that God has given you. Don't negate the gift that God has given you. Regardless of your age, regardless of your season, do not negate the gathering together, the coming together of husband and wife. The enemy says, did God really say that that's the way to live? A humanity question, and they moved away from covenant. But what God gave as a gift to create covenant, the devil wants to use to distort it. Well, pastor, I've got a sex drive, but I'm here to say this. Having a sex drive is not the problem. Letting sex drive is. Having a sex drive is not the problem. Pastor, my husband always wants it. Tell him, tell him he's a pervert, he needs to stop. Having a sex drive is not the problem. You guys all were born with sex drives. It's, it's there, it's part of our humanity. The problem that we are seeing in culture and elsewhere is we are letting sex drive. Sex was never meant to be an identity, it was meant to be a gift. We make things like sex, our finances, our jobs, titles. Those are our identities. And it's no wonder why we feel like life is crumbling and we're grasping on trying to find some, some sort of hope. We take things that are meant to be gifts and we make them us rather than finding ourselves in the Lord. And from that we get to utilize those gifts. God, bring us back to a place where we understand you. Paul wrote about this. Now, 
I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to sound judgmental, but I always raise an eyebrow whenever I drive by a church. Because sometimes churches will name their, their churches after saints, and I have no problem with that. And sometimes they'll name their churches after like people groups in the scripture or cities, like the Bereans, which are huge in the scriptures. That's fine. Every once in a while, I drive by a church, and they will name them, themselves the Church of Corinth. If you study Corinth in the scriptures, Corinth is the Vegas of scriptures. What happens in Corinth kind of stayed in Corinth. I mean, this, in the center of Corinth was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of sex and love. And within that were hundreds to thousands of temple prostitutes. So when you went to church there, you went to lay with a prostitute and that was your act of worship. This is what Paul planted there in the city of Corinth. If, if you've ever wanted to be a church planter, you're thinking to yourself, okay, uh, Maybe not Corinth would be the place. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and when he begins to talk with them about this issue of sexuality, because it began to get into the church, Paul writes, and he says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. I'm going to stop right there. Some of you need to underline that, because I think a lot of us are fooling ourselves. Some of us fool ourselves thinking that we can dabble in sin and still feel like we're sold out for Jesus Christ. When God saves you from sin, move on from the sin. When God saves you from a life and a past, God redeems you. It's time to leave that past behind instead of entertaining it. And then Paul says this. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Because I think some of us in the church, we really like lists. And the reason why some of us like lists is because, first of all, we like to be able to have levels of sin. We love to list out what's wrong so that we can look at other people and point out what's wrong. Does anybody else like pointing out things wrong in other people besides me? Anybody else have an addiction to that? Okay, I'm the only one. That's okay. So, some of you are like, Pastor, just, just finish the message. Just, just be done. But we love these type of lists because we love looking at it. And I've learned some of the most judgmental people, they love to uphold somebody else's sin because they don't want people to see their own. And so we look at this, and first of all, this helps us to understand we're not here to, to talk about levels of sin, but we're also not we also have to get off the idea that there are worse sins than others. Because I've known people who have railed on homosexuality, but they're the biggest gossips I've ever seen. And we get levels of sin, and we do that to make ourselves feel better about staying in our own sin. Can we just say this? Sin is sin. Sin is sin. You can go to hell for gossiping as much as for adultery. Sin is sin. But the one thing that we will say is not all sin has the same impact. And the one thing about sexual sin, no matter how you color it, how you shape it, how you look at it, the one thing that Scripture will say, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, is that there's something different about sexual sin. It's not that it's worse than the rest of the sins, but the impact of it is bigger because it's not just a sin against God, you actually sin against your own body. Sin is sin, but every sin has a deeper impact. I've had people argue with me. I'm like, well, I can go, I can go choose um, a pack of gum, the, you know, the fruit stripe, stripe gum, favorite flavor lasts for like five seconds. I can steal that from the store, and I can get a slap on the wrist, or I can go steal a car, and the sin is sin, but the impact of it is going to be different. But when it comes to sexual sin, this is the, what the Scripture is telling us. It's saying, listen, don't kid yourself. 
Don't fool yourselves. Stop playing with sin is what Paul was trying to tell the church in Corinth. I know what you've got in the middle of the city. I know what the culture is telling you that's acceptable. But you need to understand something. Stop fooling yourselves thinking that you can still live in sin and still give God glory with your life. It's time to wake up. And I love what Paul says in verse 11. Some of you were once like that. Some of you that maybe feel a little judgment in your hearts toward people. Some of you need to remember what your life was like without Jesus. Anybody in the house just thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ? Do you remember where you were when Jesus found you? Is anybody else you felt hopeless before Jesus? Anybody else feel broken? Anybody else in the house you were addicted to crap in your life that was consuming your life? I love talking with young men, young women about pornography. And I tell them all the time, listen, y'all, you, you have it easy. Back in our day, you want to know how bad we had it? We had to search it out. That's how screwed up our lives were. But, but when Jesus came into our life and redeemed us and he saved us and he set us free, I'm here to say this, that some of us, when we look at this list, and now we just want to know who to blame and who to point the finger. But when I look at this list, I don't stand in judgment. Honestly, my hands go in the air and I say, God, thank you for your grace. And by the way, everybody else needs to hear about that grace. Because when I see those words, some of you were once like that. That's every single one of us. You're worried about the screwed up people in the world. Guess what? Some of you were once like that. Some of you still are. But you were cleansed and you were made holy. You made right by God, calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some of you were like that. And then he goes into this talk and he begins to say in verse 12, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. Oh man, I've heard that. Pastor, I've got freedom in Christ to do anything. Yes and no. But not everything, this is what Paul says, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. I must not become a, a slave to anything. When I was thinking about this, I thought of my, my mentor and his wife, Joel and Donna Stocker. I am forever thankful for spiritual dads and moms. Um, I'm here to say today, uh, some of you, you may have kids, you may not have kids, but uh, to me, I am the product of a physical mom and dad. I'm the product of many, many um, spiritual moms and spiritual dads um, in my life. That's why I think everybody should be volunteering to work in next-gen ministry. You should hit up Pastor Carissa, Pastor Kevin, talk to them about ministry to our kids. We need spiritual moms and dads. And I remember Donna talking to our staff about this idea of becoming a slave to sin. And she wanted to talk with us about two things that we hear in the church world, maybe not often enough in church. And those things are what we call transgressions and iniquity. In the scriptures, we see those words, especially in the King James. But those two words are very important. I think this is something phenomenal to take notes on. If you want to know what a transgression is in scripture... To transgress means to trespass, to step over a line. For example, um, I own a piece of property that's where my house sits. And I, can, I live in that. But second I step into my neighbor's yard, I step across a line into their territory, and they could deal with me for being on their property. Now, I've got a good relationship with my neighbors, so please don't worry that something weird's going on at the pastor's house. But that's trespassing, is I willingly, willingly 
on the outward, I'm stepping over a line that I know is not the right boundary to step over. That's a transgression. I transgress over God's line and I'm doing something. I'm acting out of sin. Iniquity is not what we're doing. Iniquity is on the inside. Iniquity is what takes place. And it's what drives us to do the things that we do. And the problem that I've seen in the church for years is the church is so focused on transgressions and not iniquity. We shouldn't, be, we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't commit adultery. Anybody in the house agree we shouldn't be adulterous? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, I've got a few people that agree with that. That's, that's a great idea, isn't it? And we could preach about don't sleep with people who are not your spouse. Sounds great. It's wonderful. But that's the transgression. That's the stepping over the line. What we have to actually deal with that makes us a slave to those things is the lust. That's the thing on the inside. I've had people say, well, Pastor Dave, I've been dealing with lust, so I'm going to make sure I go, go get married as soon as possible to deal with my lust. I'm like, bro, listen. Just because you get married doesn't take care of the iniquity problem. Well, I'm in the pornography. I'm, it'll get better when, I'm get, I'm, when I get married. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Marriage is a magnifier of who you were before you got married. And the problem is, is we deal with the transgressions in the church. We don't deal with the iniquity. But there's hope. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. This is the prophecy about Jesus. He was wounded for our... Some of your, uh, some of your uh, translations will say cut. He was cut on the outside for the outside things that we do. He's provided a way. So if you are constantly transgressing, you're stepping outside of God's will, you're not hopeless. Why? Because he was wounded for those things. And look at the next part. He was bruised for our what? Iniquities. What is a bruise? Simply saying it's a cut on the inside. Bleeding underneath the surface. The fact that you and I the enemy wants to take every type of sin imaginable and make us a slave to it. A slave to our own desires. A slave to our own wants. The slave to what we feel like we ought to do and what we feel like is right. And, and Jesus doesn't release us into that saying, you've got no hope. He looks at it and says, listen, I will deal not just with the outward, but I'm going to deal with the inward. And when he went to the cross, he went to it and he was wounded for transgressions. He was bruised for iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We are healed, that we don't have to be controlled by appetites. We don't have to be broken by our sexual past. That God has given us the ability to find freedom, find forgiveness, and to find hope once again for our sexuality. Thank you, Jesus. I love what God has designed. I love this thing of marriage because with marriage, God gave us a container for it. A container to experience sexuality the way it needs to be. Now, my, I'll probably get a phone call at some point today from my parents saying, talk about playing with fire because I've got a background of setting part of a forest on fire, a bed on fire, a floor on fire. I've got a background of it. Um, in fact, when I walked the line of graduation, I, all, my entire family had Vicks in the air, holding it in the air. That's just my background. So fire suppression is already set. We deal with fire every single day. Do you realize that? Fire can keep our houses warm when the temperature drops in the middle of July, June, I should say. We use fire to cook. 
when you start your car, a fire is contained that, that causes some combustion to take place. We deal with fire. Fire used in the proper container can be delivering, but outside of the, outside of the container, fire is destructive. And that's honestly how I've felt, I've, I've felt with sexuality for years. Is God has given us a container, but outside of that container, the problem is, outside of it, it just, it burns up. And what lingers now around us is just the shattered remains of what we had. And for years, this was where my brain was at. With what pornography did with my brain. The view on sexuality. I remember the talk with Anne leading into our wedding week. I remember the, having the conversation and she says, I'm worried that sex will be disappointing to you because of things that you've seen and things that you've watched. But I'm thankful for God that when we have destroyed and broken things, that he's the redeeming God. And what he has given us is a container. Something that, he doesn't say don't light the sexual appetite. He doesn't say don't light the desire. What he has given us, instead of abandoning us to a hell of living with sexual desire with, without any opportunity, is God gives us the beauty of marriage to not just receive that flame and not just receive that desire, but be able to light that so that our lives become Places of the glory of God. Did you know that when man and woman come together in matrimony, when they come together in marriage, when, they, when you come together in your bed or wherever you decide to do sex that nobody else needs to know about, I'm here to say when you come together as husband and wife, God is glorified. God shines on that. God blesses that. And I'm thankful that God has given us that proper container because outside of that container, what do we have? I've still got it on my hand. We've got the markings of the damage that it creates. Well, we've got it under control. We've got it under control, Pastor Dave. We, we, we know what we're doing. I've heard that for years, and I'm here to say that outside of the container that God has given, you're setting yourself up for devastation. You're setting yourself up for brokenness. Another image that kind of popped in my brain was the image of a dam. Dams that are utilized to help harness water. Water, outside of fire, water could be potentially the most destructive substance on the face of the earth. And when it's harnessed right, that right there could power a major city. But some of us over the past number of years, I remember 2020 watching a place that I call home, Midland, Michigan, a dam broke, flooded a chunk of the city and watching the devastation that took place. When sex is used outside of the proper container, it's not harnessed the way God has designed. It offers nothing but a quick experience, lasting devastation. God wants to redeem this. And so the question is this, and so if I have my keyboardist come join me. You guys' awkwardness is almost done this morning. What do we do with this gift? We offer the proper container. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, I read this at every premarital counseling appointment I have when we meet for the sixth time. It says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Give honor to marriage. It sounds so fruity and it's just very simple, like, oh, give honor to marriage. Uh, remain faithful to one another. But if you really looked at the, the depth of the, of the Greek that's here, 
It's actually the encouragement to enjoy the marriage bed. The subject is sexuality. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, enjoy it. Enjoy it. In fact, the great theologian LL Cool J would say it this way. Do it and do it well. (laughs) Enjoy it. But if you're going to do it, do it in the proper container. God gave you the place to experience it. Benny's having revival over here. Why? It's a powerful gift. Outside of the realm of the container that God has offered, what should give fulfillment leaves emptiness, leaves heartache, leaves brokenness. Some of you are here today and you've gone through that type of heartache and that type of pain because you gave, you gave, and you gave, then somebody left. Or somebody took, 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 took. Feel like they got their fill and they left empty. And I'm here to stand in condemnation. You've got your past and I've got my past. But I'm here to stand in grace and mercy because I would not be here and I would not be able to speak on this subject if it were only for the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. It's only for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to say that he's not done working in me and working on me. He's still working. You don't have to be a slave to your urges. You don't have to be sunk into that. You can walk in freedom, deliverance, and wholeness. And so let me give you a few takeaways. Let me give you some practical takeaways today. Number one, when it comes to sex, talk with, talk with it about your, uh, with your spouse. Understand what sex means to each spouse. This is a big deal. Now I know when, like, when my wife and I talk about it, um, if we're in bed, she will say, shut the lights off because she doesn't want me to look at her while we talk about it. My wife will giggle the entire time. That's okay. Or if we're on a walk in a neighborhood, we'll talk about it. And she's like, just look straight forward. Don't look at me. Look straight forward. And don't talk so loud. I'm like, I don't care if the neighbor's here. She goes, I care that the neighbor's here. But talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. When we remain silent on subjects, the shadows become breeding ground for disaster. Talk about it. Secondly, if there's sexual hurt, be willing to get healing. Please do not look at your spouse and say, I've just got to do this. I've just got to take care. This is a me thing. This is none of your business. When the two became one, what your business is both your businesses. And invite your spouse into that oneness to say, I've got this past. I've got this brokenness. Let's get help together. Does that mean that your spouse is going to go with you to counseling? Possibly. I think it could be good for your your spouse to hear the things that your counselor is hearing at appropriate times, not all the time, but appropriate times to help bring accountability and to help be an encourager because your spouse wants you healthy too. Well, they just want healthy and want me to be healthy for more sex. Not necessarily. He or she wants you healthy just because they want you healthy. Number three, don't allow sexual comparison to steal joy from your marriage. If you're, honestly, if you're into pornography, pornography was not meant to be a sexual uh, gift to a, uh, to a couple. It is not a marriage help. In fact, I'll make a statement that I might get a few letters on and I just don't give a care. But I believe that pornography is the most accepted form of human trafficking the world has ever seen. 
It will not enhance your marriage. It will rob you of intimacy. It is a liar. It is a thief of intimacy. And get this, couples, statistics say couples that feel like they have to get more creative in their marriage actually experience less pleasure. Why? Because they're not focused on the experience. They're focused on the creativity, and that's the center. Don't allow comparison. Don't think, well, other people are doing it this many times or that many times. Other people might be doing it. Get rid of comparison. It will rob the joy out of your experience. They are not the two of you. The two of you are not them. Stop worrying about comparison. And the fourth, to every marriage couple, practice makes perfect. I had some ladies saying amen. Listen, I, I'm not here trying to make you feel awkward or make, you feel, make this feel dirty or anything. None of this is anti-God. Jesus says, go, be fruitful. Enjoy. Experience it in that container and do it without guilt or shame. If you're feeling guilt and shame in your marriage because you're operating in the way that God designed it, I'm here to say, that's not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the world. God wants to give you freedom. Would you bow your heads with me?